Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. can be seated this morning. Lachlan, how did you go? Eight. It's atrocious, son. You can do better than that. It was Dorma's fault. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I can understand that. Uh, well, I've got a picture of my grumpy, my um, late grandfather um, going up on the screen. This is my grumpy grandfather. Uh, granddad but one of the cousins got it wrong early on and it stuck and fortunately he wasn't grumpy so it was cool it wasn't an insult this is my grumpy I met him when I was three years old my mum after um, having grieved my father for three years decided it was time to remarry and uh, met my my father-to-be and we went to Mandurin to meet my new grandfather and uh, and this is him and my nan as well and and that we didn't need a piece of paper. We were adopted in right from the start. We were never um, treated any differently. We were his grandkids and my nan's grandkids as well. Uh, and so much so that when I had my daughter, I was the first of the next generation to have a child. And so Isabella uh, came along when I was 22 and, and uh, they spread the word far and wide. We've had our first great grandchild, not theirs by blood, but theirs by love. And, uh, and they loved <coughs> my children <coughs> incredibly and they were amazing. And my grandfather, he was, a, he was a farmer. He took everything in his stride. When I had Isabella, they came up to Tamworth Base from Mandurin, travelled to meet their first great-grandchild. Uh, I was sitting there talking with them for about an hour and the midwife came in, thanks, Tal, and um, midwife came in and said, oh, it's good, you, your milk's come in. And I was like, wow, how did you know that? And she pointed to my drenched shirt and I looked at my grandfather and he's just like, and uh, sorry, I, I know that's probably a shine story <laughs> rather than a everyone at church story um but anyway moving on and so um and so he just took stuff in his stride he'd seen everything he was amazing he was a simple man on his 90th birthday we threw him a surprise birthday party always dangerous to throw a surprise birthday party for a 90 year old but it ended up well my uncle sent him up to the top paddock on the quad to chip burrs so that he wasn't there when the guests arrived on his 90th birthday and uh, he was an amazing man on his 92nd birthday um, he was sitting around and it was after my nan had gone home uh, to be with Jesus and all the kids were around him, all his grandkids. And he said, I am the luckiest man alive. No one knows his name, no, like well, you do now, but, um, but no, like, you know, no one remembers him. He didn't leave any great building, any great work of art. He's not on any list of anything. Um, but he said, I am the richest man in the world. And, and actually he wasn't even talking to the, about the fact that he had family because my dad had told me constantly that his aim in life was to leave a godly inheritance. He didn't care about leaving an inheritance of money or wealth or anything, but he wanted his influence to extend to such a point that the people in his life knew Jesus. And he looked around at his kids and his grandkids and seeing them know Jesus, he was like, I'm the richest man alive. One time he, uh, you've maybe heard this story, I've told it once before, he and my nan were in bed late at night. My cousin was staying at their house and they were having a barney in the middle of the night, just raised voices yelling at each other. And so my cousin did what any good visitor would do and listen to what they were saying and to hear what they were blueing about. 
And what they realized was that actually they were praying for each of their children and each of their grandchildren by name with their hearing aids out. And so they were just going for it. And you met name after name, mentioning every single 25 odd grandkids um, and six children and spouses and all that, just yelling at them, that's my granddad. And uh, I love him. And he was an amazing man. And you'll see there at the bottom, this was his this was his hope. This was the scripture. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that, that's the hope that he lived with. And that's the hope that he taught us. And that is the hope that we have. And that's the hope that you have. If you have any sick relatives or anyone in your family who trusts Jesus, that that's the hope that those who believe in me, even though they die, they'll live. And, and that eternal hope that they have and they're going home with is the eternal hope that you now have and can have if you don't have it yet this morning to be able to see your loved ones again, that this here on earth is not the end, that actually is just the beginning of our story and that we have that confident and eternal hope. But I'm not talking about that this morning. That just makes me excited. Um, I'm talking about this morning, if I can get behind the drums, Jerry. Uh, uh. <laughs> that was so one go. <laughs> oh, sorry. So was that snort. <laughs> That was maybe the most unco thing I've done in my life. Des is like, no, there's heaps more. Pun. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm talking about that dash in between those two dates. The dash in between those two dates. That tiny little dash that represents all of our lives. And I'll kick off this morning with a poem. I'd really like it to be one of those social commentary angry poems where they yell. I've, I love those ones, but it's not. It's a really simple poem. I heard a man read out the eulogy of his friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears, but said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the houses the cash. What matters is how we lived and loved and how we spend our dash. So you think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you know how much time is left. Sorry, for you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and to show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? <laughs> God, help us to understand this morning how to best live our dash in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to read you a passage of scripture and, and we're picking up a story and I know that I just got you all like, um, you know, warm and fuzzy with stories of my granddad. We're about to dive into a book which reads out a lineage of kings, of good kings, bad kings, righteous kings, evil kings. And I've been here for a long time. And if you've heard me speak at devotions or anything like that or huddle talk, you know that I've been in Chronicles because I love it so much. And, uh, and <clears throat> this is history. This is a historical book. This takes place at about 850 BC. I'm going to pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 10. It says, When Atalia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. But Yehosheba, the daughter of King Yehoram, took Johash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. 
because Jehosheba, the daughter of a king, Jehoram, and wife of the priest, Jehodadim, was Isaiah's sister. She hid the child from Atalia so that she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Atalia ruled the land. I'm just going to, that was a lot of names that we couldn't say. So um, I'm just going to give you the rundown. Jehoram is king. He has a son called Ahaziah. Ahaziah uh, has a, a child called Joash. Now, um, Ahaziah is killed. So Jehoram's wife, this woman called Atalia, decides to destroy the whole royal household. I'm just letting you know, that's her children and her grandchildren. If you thought your mum was a psycho, this woman is like, rant, 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 psycho. She's crazy. She's back crazy. She's nuts. And so she goes, starts killing the royal household. And, uh, and, 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 and what happens is that one of her daughters, or might not be her daughter, might be a daughter of a different wife, she grabs Johash, one of the sons, and runs and hides him so that the lineage of Ahaziah is preserved. Now, we don't know why Atalia is gone crazy and just starts killing people. Maybe she wants to rule herself, um, but in any case, she's nuts and she starts killing people. And, uh, and so that's, that's the setup of this story. If we go to chapter 23, verse 11 to 16, it says this, Jehoiada, I don't know how to say his name. I'm just going to call him Jed. Jed. I don't know how it goes. <laughs> um, Jed. And, uh, and so Jed and um, Atalia, uh, so Jed has taken Johash to look after him. Jed's a priest. And Jed, and it says in verse 11, Jed and his sons brought out the king's son, so they bring out Johash, and put the crown on him. They presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and shouted, long live the king. When Atalia heard the noise of the people running and cheering the king, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. She looked and there was the king. Let's just reiterate, that's her grandson, uh, standing by his pillar at the entrance. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets and singers with musical instruments were leading the praises. Then Natalia tore her robes and shouted, treason, treason. Jed, the priest, sent out the commanders of units of a hundred, am I reading that far? Yes. Um, and said, Oh, okay, yeah, this gets nasty, all right. Bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said, do not put her to death at the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the entrance of the horse gate on the palace grounds, and there they put her to death. Jed then made a covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altar. I've just got a confession to make. In my Bible, I've written next to that, yes. Um, I'm sorry if that changes the way you think about me. Um, but really, what's happening here, you might go, Bron, this is what people say. The, brutal, the Bible is a brutal book. Like, that's horrendous. Yes, that is horrendous because that's history. History is barbaric. You've only got to look at our own nation's history to know that history is barbaric. It's awful. And that's because we live in the world that we do. Men, uh, humanity is awful. And, and this has been going on for a very long time. So don't just go, the Bible's brutal. The world is brutal. This is what happens. So, um, so Jed's made, named Joash the king. Let's skip forward and see what happens. There is a point to all this, I, I assure you. Joash was seven years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. His mother's name was Zibia. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the years of Jed the priest. 
So the whole time that Jed is influencing him, Joash does right. So he turns things around. What we didn't mention before is that Atalia was into the detestable practices of the Temple of Baal. So to worship this God called Baal, you had to harm yourself. You had to show him blood of your own. And people would cut themselves and bleed before this um, false god. Uh, they would... They would offer children into the fire for these false gods. It was horrendous. And Atalia perpetuated those kinds of practices. Jed the priest has come to Joash and influenced him so that now they're following the Lord and following the beautiful social welfare constructs that the Lord has set up. They're doing amazing things and, uh, and none of that is happening. Okay, let's see what happens because that's awesome that, that Jed would influence Joash that much. What happens to Jed? Now, Jed was old and full of years and he died at the age of 130. He clearly was on keto. Keto fixes everything, I've heard. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. So here we have a priest who's buried with the kings. This priest conducted his life in such a way, his dash, in such a way that though he wasn't a king, he was buried with the kings. His influence was so amazing that he was buried with kings. That tells me that my birth doesn't determine my life or my death. He was buried with kings. So, well, that's awesome. Let's see what happened to Joash. After the death of Jed, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 20, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jed the priest. He stood before the people and said, this is what God says, why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he will forsake you. But they plotted against him and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jed had shown him and killed his son who said as he lay dying, may the Lord see this and call you to account. Verse 25, after the Aramaeans attack Joash. When the Aramaeans withdrew, they left Joash severely wounded. His officials conspired against him for murdering the son of Jed the priest and they killed him on his bed. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. So here you have a king not buried in the tombs of the kings. And here you have a priest, not a king, buried in the tombs of the kings. Why? Because of how they spent their dash. So I want to look at this story today and, and pull out some things that make our dash more meaningful and ensure that our dash is spent in a way that gives honour to God. So number one, your birth does not determine your life or your death. And actually you are standing right now on the point of change. You know, apparently up Nundal somewhere, there's a point that if, if a raindrop falls on the left of that point, then it runs into Chaffee Dam. But if a raindrop falls on the right of that point, then it runs all the way to the ocean um, out whoop, whoop, near Newcastle. And so that it just runs where it, it has no choice. That's the way it goes. If it falls left of the point, Chaffee. If it falls right of the point, Newcastle. Um, I, you know, obviously, I, I don't really understand rain that much. But, but the, that I've, I've heard that that's true. We are not raindrops. Those raindrops have no choice where they go. They just fall where they fall and then they run where it's set. You and I are not raindrops. We have a choice every single moment of our life. We are not just following a course and, and oh, no, I hope this actually gets me to where I'm supposed to go. No, we are standing right now on the point of change. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, For God says, at just the right time I heard you. 
On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now and today is the day of salvation. This is talking about salvation and the fact that Jesus died for us and and that right now you can make a choice right now to follow him all the days of your life and that will set you on a trajectory of where God wants you to go and that every day you get up, you stand in the new mercies of Jesus, you declare his grace over your life, you determine who you are in him and every day you make a choice whether to live for yourself or whether to live for him. That's how it operates. Right now is the point of change. Right now. Today is the day of salvation. The passage just before this says, we urge you to not take the grace of God for granted. Don't take the grace of God for granted, it says. Don't squander the grace that God has given you. If you drew breath this morning, you're a recipient of God's grace. If you are alive here today, you received God's grace for another day, what are you going to do with it? Because right now you're at the point of change. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what's gone before. It doesn't matter. You might be thinking, but Bronham, I'm this age and I thought this would happen by about Well, right now you're on the point of change. It doesn't matter about your first marriage. That does not determine the rest of your life. Your wayward child does not determine the rest of your life. Your sucky job does not determine the rest of your life. Right now you are standing at a point of change and you are able to make that change if you want to. He is able to change your life. There's obviously a first decision there to surrender your life to Jesus. But right now is the point of change. We urge you. Number two, get good counsel and listen. You see, there's a difference between the Zacharias and the Jed, the priests, their counsel, and the counsel of any number of a plethora of amenable counsels that we could raise up for ourselves. So often we can find people who will say what we want them to say, but what we want is people who will say what we need them to say. We need people not who just, that we can hear what we want to hear, but we will hear what we need to hear. And we need people in our lives who will tell us what we need to know. We can choose whether to listen or not. Joash chose not to listen. And so often I think that happens, that someone will say something to us that we don't want to hear. And we say, well, I don't want to receive your voice into my life anymore because that's too difficult. That's what Joash did. He, he did it by killing Zachariah. Preferably don't do that. But, but we can put people out of our lives that are telling us what we need to hear. We need people in our lives that give us that, oh, but then we can say, thank you, I needed to hear that. And the Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What do the light, uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's another word for the devil. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, this is not saying that we should um, cut off all relationships that um, are with people that aren't exactly like us. That's 100% not the case. The Bible says that. Actually, the Bible even says that if you're married to an unbeliever and they're happy to stay with you when you commit your life to Christ, stay with them because by your behavior and by the change in your life, they might actually be one to Christ. So it's not saying cut off every relationship. It's definitely not saying that. But what it's saying is, is that your most significant relationships... Why would you entrust them to someone who's not actually even on the same page as you? You see, you know if you're in a relationship, a close relationship with someone who's not on the same page as you as it relates to your worldview, you've told me the tension that that causes you. You've told me that that actually they love you and you love them and that's awesome and and, and you're staying and you're sticking it out and there's no problem there. But you've told me that the, the tension that that's created in your relationship. So what this is saying here is if you're going to move forward... And you're going to get counsel, 
Don't go to people who are in a completely different frame of mind, have a completely different frame of reference to you. Why would you do that? You are going to have tensions that you don't need to have. Like I said, if you've got them, work with them, trust God for them. You never know what's going to happen through your um, changed life. But make sure that you're seeking out good counsellors who will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Here's another one. Do not be misled. This is in the Bible. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Why does it say do not be misled? Because we mislead ourselves all the time. We persuade ourselves, this is doing nothing to my character. No, 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 I'm fine. I'm really good. No, no, do not be misled. The behaviour that you allow in your life and around you is normalised in your life. If you have conversations constantly that are gossip and backbiting, that kind of conversation gets normalised in your life and it's easier for you to go down that track. You know, you talk to tradies on the job site, the kind of things that they're um, bombarded with by the tradies around them on the job site, it's so much easier for that to be normalised in them than it is for someone who maybe is never um, exposed to that kind of um, viewing. (laughs) Like it, it, it just has the propensity to be normalised. And, and so it says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Get good counsel and listen to it. Don't walk the tightrope of, oh, I think I'm doing okay here. I think I... Make sure that you've got good people in your life who will tell you what you need to hear. It says in Timothy 2 Timothy 4, 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We live in that age. Don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. Okay. (laughs) Can the Bible, like can God tell you what to do? No? Okay. Okay. We live in that age where you can find what you want to hear. Just Google it. You'll find people who will tell you what you want to hear. But no, don't make sure you've got people in your life who tell you what you need to hear. Make sure that you're living in that place where you'll hear what you need to hear. Your birth doesn't determine your life or your death. You're standing right now on the point of change. Number two, get good counsel and listen. Number three, make tough decisions. You know, Jed, he killed the king's mother, grandmother. He, he said, she's not good for the life of here. He, she's not good for our nation. Then he killed the, the priest of Baal and said, he's not good for our nation. Like I said, I don't recommend you kill anyone, but what tough decisions do you need to make? What tough decisions in your life do you need to make? And I could go through a litany of, of, of um, examples right now, but I believe that the Holy Spirit will quicken to you the tough decisions that you need to make right now. You know, as it relates to your kids, you know, the fact that you've got them in every sport or, or that you're helping them and you've got them in singing lessons and, and you've got them training and you've got them doing, great, that's awesome. I hope they become really accomplished. That'd be fantastic for their life, for their little tiny dash that they've got between their birth date and their end date. But what are you doing for them spiritually? What kind of decisions are you making for them spiritually? How are you getting them in environments where they're gonna, their faith is going to grow? Are you praying for them like my grumpy and nan prayed for me by name every day of my life? You know, I'm preaching myself here right now. Do, do you know of the issues in their life and are you praying for them specifically? What, is it, what are the tough decisions that you need to make? What do you need to stop doing and what do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing and what do you need to start doing? Make some tough decisions. Number four, who are you setting up to win? Who are you setting up to win? Jed, the priest, he set up the whole nation to win. He, he, he set up that whole nation to win, but especially he set up a little boy to win. 
He poured his life into that little boy and he set him up to win. You know what? The little boy didn't win. He didn't go forward and do what Jed had instilled in him. But Jed still gave him the principles and poured out himself into that little boy. Our job is not to worry about how that ends up. Our job is to set other people up for a win. Uh, there's a, a principle that Shane Willard talks about called Zimzum. Well, actually, he doesn't talk about it. Rabbinical history talks about it. Zimzum, it's where, where someone has to decrease so that the other person can increase. You know, God was everywhere. God was everything and he still is and he's still in everything. Yes, sure. But he, was, he took up the whole everything that there was. And then he created the world. So by very logic, he had to retreat or retract so that the world could expand and the galaxy could expand. He filled everything and still does, but, but he had to allow room for the world to, to come to being. So then John the Baptist, when he walked the earth, he saw Jesus and he said, well, no, actually, I've got to decrease so that he can increase. I've got to let my light shine dimmer so that his light can shine brighter. I've got to let my star actually fall a bit so that his star can rise. He contracted so that Jesus could expand. Uh, Jesus said when he walked the earth and when he rose again, he said, I've got to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. I need to make way and make room for the Holy Spirit, for your life to win, for your life to be set up and move forward. And then Paul, he said, he said three times, God, three times I begged that God would take this thorn from my flesh and we don't know what it is. He said, but God said, my Grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, I'll stay a little bit contracted so that through me, God might be proclaimed and expanded. I'll stay a little bit on the weak side so that God's name might be spread out even more. Jesus went to the cross and died so that we could live. And it says, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That wasn't like, I'm going to the cross. Yeah, it's so joyful. No, no, Jesus went and, and put his face on the ground three times and said, God, if you can take this from me, do so. He said, but not what I want, but what you want. He said, this is my joy to lay my life down so that others might rise and might live, so that you might rise and might live. That's what he did. So my question is, who are you setting up to win? Where are you letting your light shine dimmer so that someone else's can shine brighter? Husbands, where are you contracting so that your wife might expand? Not literally. If anyone makes a joke about that afterwards, I will punch you in the face. <laughs> but where are you letting you go smaller so that, oh, it's all just going to be bad now. <laughs> where are you letting someone else win where are you losing so that someone else can win parents where are you losing so that your children can win friends where are you losing so that your friend can win who are you setting up to win because that will make your dash so much more meaningful if we will actually look at someone and go you know I've got it in my ability to allow someone to win by me losing so I'll happily lose so that that person can win that will make your dash meaningful. So your birth doesn't determine your life or your death. You're standing right now on the point of change. Get good counsel and listen. Make tough decisions and who you're setting up to win. This all starts with Jesus. You know, I said just before that he died so that we might have life. 
And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you've never started your life on that trajectory, on that course of allowing him to make your dash meaningful. And so this morning, I just wonder if you can close your eyes uh, to block out distractions and I'm going to ask something in just a moment. And, And I'm asking you a question. Do you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Lord of your life means that you want to go his way and not yours anymore. Lord of your life means that he's the boss and it's his way that goes, no matter how it sits with your way of living. And it doesn't matter if you feel inadequate, it doesn't matter if you feel scared right now, it doesn't matter if you have an element of trepidation around that right now, that doesn't matter. What matters is if you feel like now is your time and you are ready to say yes to Jesus. Because He not only transforms your dash, but He transforms what comes after your dash. The dash of your life doesn't stop. And so this morning I'm going to just ask the question, because the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is His Lord, then you will be saved. So if you're ready to make Jesus Lord this morning, I'm just going to ask that you would just look up at me and catch my eye. If that's you and you're ready to make Him Lord, that you just look up at me and catch my eye. I'm going to count to three and then I just want you to look up and I'm going to just acknowledge your decision. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but we're going to pray together as a church family. So if that's you, then you just look up at me. One, two, three. I'm just casting my eye around. If you are ready to make that decision, make Jesus Lord, you just stay looking up at me till I catch your eye. Good decision. So anyone else this morning, you just look up at me. Good decision. Ready to, good decision, good decision, good decision, good decision, good decision. Ready to make Jesus Lord of your life, just look up at me. If you haven't caught my eye yet, just keep looking. Awesome. Good decision. Good decision. We're going to pray together. As a church family, you pray after me. Dear Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. Help me, Jesus. Amen. I want to pray for a second group of people right now. And if if any of those points resonated with you and you're just like, yep, whether it's I need to make a change, Uh, And right now I'm taking, I'm realising that I'm not powerless, that actually I live in the top 2% of the world's population, that I'm really actually ready to make a change in my life and take responsibility and start my life on a different trajectory. If you're saying, I need good people in my life, I don't know where to find them, but I need them and I'm prepared to listen. I won't shut them out if they say something I don't agree with. If you're ready to make a tough decision or you're ready to lay down your life so that someone else can live, figuratively speaking, or maybe maybe it'll even be literally speaking. If that's you this morning, then then um, I'll just ask you to look up now and I'm going to pray for us all together. Is there anyone who resonated? Awesome, there's people looking everywhere. That's so good. So good. We live in the live in Tamworth, true. But we also have the best church in the world. And uh, so um, I'm just going to pray for all of us. Lord, you are powerful and you are mighty and you are great and you are awesome and you are able, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for drawing us to this place this morning. We thank you for allowing us to hear from your word, God. And and Lord, we pray that we would make that dash meaningful, Lord. We don't want to live, Lord, a life that is just taken up with trivialities and, and, uh, and things that don't matter, God. We want to live a life of meaning. So Lord, whatever it is that you've quickened to us this morning, 
Lord, I pray that you would help us. And church, I just ask you to repeat a prayer after me. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right. And the courage to do what's right. Give me the desire and the power to do what is good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks so. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.